0: To Your Property Podcast today. I am with Andy Haynes, and it's a great pleasure to have Andy. I've known Andy for a few years now, so hi, Andy, welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Michelle. It's great seeing you here on Zoom in person, and uh, it's lovely meeting up with you again.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, Andy, you've got so much experience in uh, you know things all in the property world, but also specifically around um, freehold to leasehold strategy. So, do you want to tell us a bit about? How you got into that particular strategy, and maybe some background about uh, about yourself as well for people who don't know who you are.
1: Yeah, thank you very much indeed, Michelle. So for many years I worked for the BBC, and I loved that day job. And uh, I know there's lots of people here listening in that love the day job, but many of us hate our day jobs. Um, and for me, I got involved in property investing because. The job I loved, unfortunately, wouldn't pay me the money I needed in order to better put enough away in a pension. So the money I was earning, of course, was sort of helping us to sort of feed and water the kids and and pay the mortgage and and the bills and uh, any sort of holidays we wanted to have, all of those things. That's why I was working at the BBC, trying to save in my pension and I could never put enough money away. And when I went to the IFA, who said, Andy, this is how much you can afford to retire on uh, that day when you want to hang up the microphone, is when I then realised that maybe I needed to do something to give me a different income ready for that day, because my pension just wasn't going to be high enough to be able to retire on. And I recognised if I got together a little small portfolio that maybe would give me residual income coming in every single month, that that would be the money I could live off at the day when I wanted to retire. And so I did. I mean, I was investing, Michelle, in the early 2000s. Any of us that were investing back then, we all thought we were brilliant property investors because it was a doddle. And, you know, you could pay too much on buying the property. You can pay too much on the refurbishment of it. And you still made loads of profit because the prices were just shooting up. And so I really thought I was really good at this. And I thought, you know, why didn't I do this sooner? And then when the banks crashed of 2008, 2009, that sort of era, then that's really what sorted out a lot of property investors back then. Because people like me were losing their portfolio right, left and centre. I didn't, luckily. I'll tell you why in just a few moments. But people were losing their whole portfolio because they were just geared up wrong. They were structured wrong. And because back then the Bank of England base rate was really high, I know it's low today at 0.1%, but it was really high back then. That meant mortgages were really high. And lots of these properties weren't being rented out. You couldn't sell them. The property market had crashed and people just had to surrender the whole of the portfolio. Now, I'm a bit different. I was determined that I'd worked hard for this portfolio. And so what I did was I actually went out there and I set up my own uh, property meet. Type thing. I was aware. I'd, I'd met up with people from the Berkshire Property Meet, and I was aware what they were doing. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a way here that I could structure this that's going to help me to grow my my property portfolio as well. So I got my local newspaper and I rang other landlords just like me that are advertising properties to rent. And I just said, "How you find the market right now? I'm struggling. Yeah, I'm struggling too, Andy." So I invited them to the local pub for a beer, but also a property meeting just to help and inspire each other along. And I then got a few more people to come along. Then we were having our private meetings every single month. As a property meeting, trying to grow and help these property people. And then we exhausted all of our knowledge uh, that we'd all had. So I started to invite some key speakers in and I invited an accountant and I also went to some of the property experts out there, one of which was Simon Zucci. And he came along. I didn't know him from Adam, if I'm honest with you. And he came along saying that he wanted to uh, talk us all about opium. And I'm thinking, is this drugs or something? Not knowing Simon. Now, let me be clear, it was nothing to do with drugs. that he was talking about was OPM, which I'd misheard and OPM stood for other people's money, and how you can invest with other people, that now the Bank of England base rate is so low, and it's crashed, they're not happy on their savings interest. Why don't you attract them to come and invest in the right property deals to help you to grow your property portfolio? And it was such a light bulb moment for me that I was thinking, whoa, well, I didn't know this before. I like this Simon Bloke. Who is he? And I started to follow him a little bit more. And he said, Andy, I like what you're doing with this property meeting. Why don't you come and make it the Worcester pin meeting so I then became part of Simon's network transforming my meeting into one of his pin meetings around the country I think we were pin meeting number four or five so quite early on there's 51 now Um, so you know it was quite a few years ago and he said but there's one thing Andy I don't mind you coming to be part of my pin meeting we'll help and support you but you've got to come on my mastermind program his property mastermind program and long story short that's what I did and, uh, you know, I haven't looked back since then, really, because, you know, remember I had my BBC job, which I really loved. Well, at the end of the 12th of my property mastermind programme, I got a choice. And that choice was, do I stay working full-time with the BBC or do I go part-time and live off the income I've generated from my property portfolio? And I did choose the latter. And I, I know I told you I loved my day job. I really did love that day job. But there are certain aspects of any job that you could leave if you wanted to. And the reason why I chose to go part-time is because I realised I could spend more time with my family. They were growing up children. And Karen and I, my wife, we wanted to spend more time with one another just going out and doing things. And I wanted more time also to better grow my property portfolio because I'd realised by now that if I stopped poking this with a stick and I started to take it seriously, then I could go away and do some real, real sort of future planning for my, my when I wanted to retire and that's what I did so I chose to stick with property and then I had the invitation from Simon said well Andy if you're going to be part-time BBC why don't you come and work with me and maybe help me some of my events hosting them and and those kinds of things and now I've grown to become Simon's number one trainer in fact I now run his property mastermind program Simon does come along to them as well Um, but I'm there running all of those programs so in 10 years I've gone through all of my property training uh apprenticeship, you could call it, and now I'm the lead trainer for him, still having loads of fun, and I'm still investing in property. Now, you asked me the question earlier on, Michelle, about how I come then to do freehold to leasehold title splitting. Well, There was one part of property investing that really talks to me, and that is that people need homes and we don't have enough social housing around. And I'm not necessarily looking at the the social supported living type aspects. There are just families, normal families with mum and dad, you know, they're living there. The kids go to school and all the rest of it. These people need homes as well, and some of those are taking up some of the homes that are social houses that could be freed up then for supported living, all those kinds of things. I just think we've got a mishmash here because there's not enough properties out there, and those people can't afford to buy houses. Could I create something that freed up those people to come and rent my houses so they were freeing up the social housing for the people that I felt needed those properties more? And so I had a real passion for doing single lets. I still do. I love the single lets. It really talks sort of from here, if that makes sense. The problem Michelle with it is that my logical head having been through a training course and lots of us here listening this podcast will be really drawn to doing HMOs because aren't they brilliant for the cash flow you can get five six seven maybe 20 people living in the same property and if you set it up in the right way you can make huge profits net profits every single month after all the bills far more than you're ever going to get on a single let's and so my head was saying you should be doing HMOs Andy my heart was saying yeah but Andy you really Want to help the social aspect of this, and get you know families need homes as well. And for me, with my single lets, I buy them in good school catchment areas where the kids are going to the local school, and you know they will stay there for five or six or seven years whilst the children go through the school. So I got a good tenant for a long time, and now I still got those tenants staying there because kids then went to the senior school, then off to university, then they still come back home to mum and dad. So I've got a great tenant living in our properties. They're paying them mortgage because every single month for it, for me. I am still getting a net income. It works doing the social aspect of it, but I'm not getting huge chunks of profit. And that was a problem to me until I hit on freehold to leasehold title splitting. So let me explain what that is and then I'll explain why it was a benefit to me. So this freehold to leasehold where I bought a whole block, it was actually, I was talking to the builder and I've been talking to this build for a little while. I was walking past, nice, friendly builder. How are you getting on with this? And the scaffolding was up and they're still in the foundations and all those kinds of states. Yeah, it's coming on well. What are you going to be doing with these properties? Oh, we're going to keep them. We're going to rent them out. We'd like to rent out the whole block to people. I'm thinking, that's interesting. Why would he do that? And every time I walk past, oh, it's taking shape. How are you getting on with it? And one day I was just brave enough to say to him, have you ever thought about selling it? Could I maybe buy it off you? And I'd based on the idea that I could own the whole block and I could rent out the whole block. and in effect, that would be similar to an HMO because I owned the whole block, but there would be separate people living in each one. So I could give families homes, if that makes sense. And uh, the builder kept saying, oh, no, I'm not selling, I'm not selling. Until the one day he said, actually, I found my next parcel of land that I want to be able to buy. And because that's such a good investment for me, I am going to sell this. Do you want to buy it? Long story short, (laughs) yes, please. And I will buy it from you. And that's how I came to have the whole building that I own. And I rent out separate flats to, to families. It could be single people, but these are people who don't want to house share. These are people that want to be able to sort of eat beans on toast, sitting in their undies on the settee if they want to, and not be worried about other people walking on them. You know it's like, family life and the rest of it. We just sometimes want to be able to have our own space and not be worried someone's going to be walking in. And that then became a great strategy for me. So I've now gone on to do a lots of freehold to leasehold title splitting because I own the whole block but I can separate out each of those flats. So the block I'm talking about has got eight flats in it. And the mortgage company is quite happy to value them as eight separate flats. So I can get 75% loan to value on each of those flats. When you add up all of those 75%, that is more than I pay to buy the whole building. So I've got all of my money that's come out of the project and I've got property that's paying me a great net cash flow per month, just like an HMO would, but they are single lets. And I've got built in equity also in that property that if you buy and hold long term, it's going to go up in price. So that's why I'm still sort of, if you like, doing my heart of hearts, my single lets, but I'm still loving the fact I get the HMO income because I'm doing the freehold to leasehold title splits.
0: Wow. Okay. So I think um, just a couple of points I want to pick up on there that you said originally about the that you're being torn between the single lets and the HMOs at the beginning. And I think it's worth kind of highlighting that, you know, you, you still had the income from the BBC and you're working part-time or full-time at the beginning. And you didn't necessarily need that high cash flow from day one. I think a lot of people look to HMOs to replace their income as a quick way to, to do that rather than having five to ten um, single lets so i think that's um th- perhaps that was a, a factor in there for you and you now is for for other people who um it just takes too long to do that single let
1: uh, it probably does i mean the big thing i would say is i would always say to someone please don't give up your day job yeah. you know i think it's good <laughs> to have a day job because say it pays the bills and it, it all keeps the roof over your head i think more importantly it keeps you marketable. Uh, so that you can go out and get mortgages to grow your property portfolio. But I was investing in myself. Remember, I did the Property Mastermind program. And if I'm honest with you, it was that that accelerated my success because I was with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had to go out and do the work. I say I, of course, Karen was doing it with me, but I had to go out and do the work and make it happen. It didn't just happen on its own, but it was that comfort blanket of like-minded people that were there making mistakes with me. I was making mistakes we could share from each other and learn successes, what was working in the marketplace. And that put me in the position that at the end of the 12 months, I could have given up the BBC full-time, you know, and gone full-time property, I mean. Um, but I chose because I loved the BBC so much, I didn't want to give it up. That's why I went part-time. But I did have enough income at the end of the 12 months because I'd taken action to yeah. go out there. And for some of us, we could do it in 12 months. Some of us, it might be two years. I don't mind whether it's three years or five years. If you really want to do it, you can go out there and make it happen. But, yes, you're quite right, Michelle. HMOs will get you there faster that's the sort of sports car for like naught to sixty in three seconds. I was maybe doing it in comfort, but I was doing 0 to sixty in maybe twenty seconds. So it took yeah. me a lot longer. But you know, I was happy in doing what I'm doing. I was sitting on a great vehicle to get me there, and I'm really happy with the fact that it was ticking the social housing type box for me as well.
0: Mm, good. Okay. So uh, talking more about the, uh, the the freehold to leasehold, then you mentioned you know you bought this one from the the builder, um, and you recognise actually rather than get one mortgage on the freehold, you can actually split the titles on the individual self-contained flats. So, um, you know, just, could you just talk a little bit more about that? Perhaps a few more of the technical details. So my understanding is that you can, um, the the, the square meter of each flat uh, for remortgaging purposes, they don't have to be the same as if you're selling them, Is that right?
1: So if you are wanting to get an individual mortgage on a flat that's in a building, it will need to be a certain square meterage as a minimum. And that is 30 square metres or more. Or if you're looking at square feet, it's about 322 square feet. You'll often hear people saying 300 square feet just to make it round numbers. Um, But you do need to have it at least that in order to get its own individual mortgage. If it's not, then you probably won't be able to title split on it. Have a chat with a good mortgage broker that gets and understands this. And they may have some lenders that would be able to do it for you. But in my experience, as a rule of guide, you need to have at least 30 square metres of individual flats space to be able to s- separate the titles out. The other important thing you need to factor in, Michelle, is it must have its own utilities. So by that, I mean its own water supply, its own electricity, and its own meterage of all of that as well. Of course, it could be gas as well, although not all buildings have gas built in. But your own utilities, you'd want to have completely separate and not shared within the other flats in that same building.
0: Right, okay. So it, to me, it sounds like a, you know, a great strategy. It certainly bridges that gap between the you know the, the HMO strategy where you've got a lot more hassle and a lot more uh, a lot more work involved a lot more turnover of tenants that's for sure um, and versus on the other side you've got the single lets so um, what in terms of the actual valuation because a lot of what you talk about is the when you can value each flat separately um, on its own title so to speak but I think people need to be careful because a lot I've looked at quite a few and uh, being from up north as well. I think that tends to work more in the affluent areas. Is that it it doesn't work in every case, does it? That idea of buying the cake and then cutting it up and then sell them individually
1: yeah. you've got to do a lot of research on it and what i do is i find these buildings that do contain flats important thing is that they're on just one title the leases have not been separated they've not had a title split on them already and there are lots of these properties out there because there's lots of landlords from i don't know when sort of 10 years ago 15 years ago 20 years ago that recognize that one house might rent out at 700 pounds a month but if you could split that same house into four or five flats that each rented out at maybe five or six 600, you had dramatically increased the cash flow from that one building. So they split the flats inside the building, but they didn't need to go to the expense of splitting the titles with a solicitor, because that could be quite costly. Why would you go to that expense if you didn't need to pay it? They were happy just to have the one building, they owned it, and they rent out separate flats. Now, as time has gone on, those buildings are still on the one title. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand that if you split the title to make each flat its own particular title, then you can then dramatically increase the value of that building. So you you've got to go to an area where you can find these buildings that are on one title that have got these flats individual in there and they're on their own utilities and they have their own front doors and all those kinds of things and then you would evaluate what flats would be worth in that area and that's easy to do you know go and right move on the market zoopla they've all got these online portals that tell you what flats are selling for in that area and i add up the values of each of those flats of course like for like you have to compare one beds with two beds And those things to get the proper valuation. But when you add up then what all of those flats in that building could be worth, then I would want to be buying the whole block for 75% of what each of those flats add up to collectively, the gross development value, I want my purchase price to be 75% or less. That way, I can buy it at the lower price, I can then refinance them on individual flats, and I can then take out all of my money, so that then I've got no money left in the deal.
0: Right. And where do you think, uh, obviously you help people in uh, you know, as, in your role as mentor with, with PIN and help lots of students to do this type of strategy amongst others, but where do people start looking for these? Because I know a lot of them can be um, misadvertised. I can't know these type of properties.
1: Yeah, that's true, Michelle, because you can't go on Zoopla or Rightmove and say, Can I have please your buildings that have been split into flats (laughs) and are up for sale on one title? Because they haven't got a capture, a category for that. But if you go on there, maybe looking for eight bedroom properties. Now, there's very few properties that are eight bedroom apart from the beautiful, lovely houses Mm -hmm. right there. The real danger of doing what I'm about to tell you is that you get drawn into looking (laughs) at all these wonderful places with acres of land and you sort of think, Wow, wouldn't it be lovely to live there? But what you will find, let's call it an eight bed house, which you could be searching for it will often say, and amongst all those beautiful houses, uh, a house that's split into four flats, and they are four two bedroom flats. So that's where they get the eight bedrooms from and why they show it as eight bedroom. And you can just a little bit of a clue in the description when you're reading through of all these beautiful houses, you'll think that looks interesting. And you then go into deeper detail on it and you find out that maybe that could be on one title sill. And you can then go to land registry, you can pull off the title and look for yourself to see whether it's still on one title. And then you can approach the owner or the estate agent to see if you could do a viewing. I would do a viewing of the property in order to make sure that it's got its own utilities, that they were definitely sort of separate flats in there, and that the sizes were suitable, because I didn't want to tell them what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I'd want to go and look for myself. And once it was, I would then put an offer in, and buy it I hope for the right price if I can't buy it at the right price I would probably walk away until they were ready to sell it to me at the right price because they couldn't sell it and I've got a quick story to tell you on this because one of these properties I did find on uh, right move but it was actually going to auction and this particular one I read through the description it was in Worcester and it was going to an auction but interesting the auction was out of town so it wasn't actually in Worcester itself. And I thought, that's good. If I go to that auction, there's not gonna be very many people from Worcester there uh, because it was out of time. I know nowadays we tend to do a lot online now. You can bid online, but this was a few years ago. Most people, you had to go to the auction if you wanted to bid. And I made it clear that I wanted to buy this particular property. The problem, Michelle, was that I thought it was overpriced. It had a guide price of 175 to 185. And so you know, you could sort of say that's around one hundred seventy 180 might be the reserve, price for it for me it just didn't work at that figure but i went anyway to the auction the out of town auction with the idea that not very many people from worcester would be there to buy it and i just told the auctioneer i wanted it and i never bid on it and these bids were flying off the wall and it was going up and up and up and up and in the end it got to near to a price which was the price they were asking for it and he just dropped his gavel and said sorry i can't sell it and when I went up to him after and said, oh, why weren't you selling it? Because of course, all those bids were coming in. He said, well, actually, Andy, um, I didn't get a high enough bid from anybody to be able to sell it at the price that they wanted as a reserve. And I said to him, if you can introduce me to who it is that's selling it, I'd like to make them a private bid on it, please. And he said, I couldn't possibly do that. So I then said out loud, I don't know how I got the confidence for this, Michelle. In the room, I just said, I really am so grateful, Mr. Auctioneer for allowing me to come here to this auction. I wanted to buy this property. If the owner's in the room and you'd like to connect with me, there's my business card on the table. I'd love to connect with you. And I left the room. Long story short that they put it back on with an estate agent at a slightly reduced price, which I was aware of it, but I then contacted that estate agent and I kept in touch with them. Anyway, they did eventually contact me later on and said, actually, Andy, do you still want to buy it? And I managed to buy that property for 135,000 pounds. Now, it's one of the case studies that's in uh, the June edition of the YPN magazine, uh, which we're quite delighted about. So, you know, just to give the figures, I bought it for 135,000, Michelle. It was two flats, a one bed flat downstairs, and a two bed flat upstairs. So it's only two flats in this one building, but I bought it for 135,000. Between the two flats, I put in costs and fees just for a light refurb of 15,000 pounds. I changed the carpets, we just painted it and made sure the kitchen looked really clean and tidy. So that owes me 150,000 pounds. I then got it, two leases, lease got split on the two bed and the one bed. And then I got them individually valued for a mortgage on each property. The two bed, valued at £105,000. The one bed valued at £95,000. So adding the two together gave me £200,000 of gross development value. 75% loan-to-value of that is £150,000. So I got all the money out that i originally paid, my 135000 and all of my costs of 15000 out of the property I've got then two flats that I own with none of my money left in it. I've got instant equity on it of uh, £50,000 in that example. And they rent out really well. So the ROI is exceptionally high. And that particular property now, I've had it for a few years. It's now got over 100000 equity in it because the prices have gone up. Yeah, Great strategy. No,
0: no that's a fantastic uh, property. Fantastic deal there. Well done. Um, and I suppose when you know what you're looking for and it, this particular strategy is not very common, is it? So um it but you, you know, they're are out there, I can see them on right move, you know, and um, but that they, they don't always work at the right price. So it's a lot of it, as you say, is about the perseverance, about following up, um, just persistently keeping in touch with those agents and the owner if you can, if you can contact them directly as well. So yeah. yeah.
1: And I must admit, you know, I can train people to do this if that's what you want to do. I'm not here to any promote anything at all because I believe in giving back. But I also understand that other people helped me when I was on my journey. And if anybody needs help, reach out to me. I'd be delighted to sort of push you in the right direction. But you've got to really want to do freehold to leasehold title splitting. You know, it's a great strategy. But there's loads of other great strategies out there as well, Michelle. Yes. HMOs is one of them. And by the way, I do have HMOs as well. That's why I really know. To me, they're a pain in the backside. I know a lot of people, you know. But you alluded to this earlier. They can be hard work and you know i get an a, um, a letting agent to look after us for us but they're forever on the phone saying oh that your your tenants have broken this your tenants want this they want the other and uh, it is there is a hassle factor with hmos
0: well there's a cost to everything isn't there whether that's a cost to your time and management and, and dealing with the agent or the tenants or or the cost to um you know your peace of mind and uh, and letting the you know the if you've got flats they tend to be less uh, less hassle so but then you, you forfeit the, the profit there so <laughs>
1: yeah and that's what I was saying you know just get the strategy that really talks to you and I've been very lucky because single let's really talk to me but I wanted HMO money my freehold to lease or title split gives me the combination of both of those so I really sort of I'm in flow I'm doing a strategy mm-hmm. that really works for me and that's what I would say to anybody find the strategy that works for you and then go out there and make it happen whatever that strategy is
0: is there anything that people perhaps don't know about this strategy that we haven't mentioned? Maybe something that people would forget to look out for or, um, or do you want to comment on the whole, if that's going on with the leases at the moment and, um, anything there to add?
1: Yeah, so the one thing to remember the minimum sizes, so at least 30 square meters, it does have to be on one title so that you can split the titles into individual flats. You also need to learn things such as you cannot be the freeholder as well as the leaseholder. So they've got to be completely separate entities. And the other entity would normally be a limited company that you happen to be a director of. So you can own the limited company, But of course, you are not limited company. It's a separate entity. So I would have my freeholds in that limited company, enabling me then to be able to take leases out on the flat. So that's another key lesson that you would need to learn on these particular things as well. And then you would need to go to a good solicitor that gets and understands how to title split these, Um, because it's not something you can go to any solicitor. It's a bit of a specialist area. But what they would do, they would draw up a lease for you on each individual flat and in a building. So that block I was telling you of eight flats, in a way they're all a similar lease on each of the eight, but each flat has got different needs. For example, the flat on the top floor would have access through the front door of the building, along that corridor, up that flight of stairs into their front door. Whereas a flat on the downstairs may come in another door or if they the same door, they've only got access to their front door there. They don't need access to the rest of the building. Maybe each flat has got its own car parking space. So the lease would be very relevant to that particular lease. So your solicitor would sort of do one lease that controls the whole building, which they would duplicate eight times, but then they would tweak each of those leases to make them bespoke for that particular living space. And a good solicitor will know exactly what to do there.
0: Fantastic. Um, just to kind of finish off then, I, I'm just thinking about the people who are listening perhaps they think great this is a great strategy but you know in my area to find uh, a freehold that's got eight bedrooms or you know however many flats you know they're going to be a lot more expensive than what I can afford and you mentioned at the beginning about talking about working with other people's money and I think this is a, a real mindset shift for a lot of people when they learn how and how it can be done and, and the fact that it can be done um, it's just not in a lot of people's awareness so what would you say to people who they want to do the strategy they like it and they would like to work with other people how would they present themselves or how would they uh, go about finding uh, you know uh, private investments for example and and is it possible to um, how would you go about getting, buying something with somebody else's money if you do it as a joint venture where you're joint, Owners, that's one thing, but if you've got private investment, um, maybe just touch on how that might work.
1: Yeah, so the property business, just like any other business, is a people business. People buy from people. It's all about the relationships with people. It's nothing to do with the property. And no matter how much money you've got, if you invest in property, you will get to that stage where you'll run out, and you're no different then to somebody who hasn't got money. And so it's about minimising the risks for me. So the freehold to leasehold title splitting strategy that I'm here talking about is that if I can work out what the individual value is of each of those flats... I add them all up together and that gives me the gross development value. If then I work out 75% of that because I know I'll get 75% mortgage on it and I can buy it for less than that, it's a little bit of a no-brainer for any investor to come in with me on that particular deal to lend me the money because they can see all the maths. I can prove it to them how we can get all of their funds back out and the interest on it in order for them to say, actually, Andy, can we go around and do another property with you, please? <laughs> so, you know, for me, freehold to lease or title splitting works in that. But any strategy that you're doing, if you know what you're doing, it really can make your money. So buying a three bedroom house that then you can add value by extending out the back and putting some on into it and making it into an HMO where you'll get a higher valuation and you get the 75% loan to value on that, getting the money back out to pay the investor then I think that is a good strategy. And most investors who get this kind of stuff would be happy to invest with you. So I'm here to say, please just go out, network, get to know people. They are not just to lend anybody their their money. They want to know who you are, what you stand for, what you're like, your personality. And I think that you should get to know the investor as well, what they are like and what their strengths and weaknesses are, because we all have them. And just make sure it is a good fit. Don't just invest with somebody because they've got the money. It's got to be the right investor. And I would want the right investors to be investing with me in order to get a share of the profits that I'm making on my property. I will happily share the profits for my property deals if it's the right investor that contact me to say, Andy, how can I be a part of this? You know, because it's got to be the right fit for both of us. You know, but then... It works because we're minimizing the risk together. There can be risk in it. Property prices, now what might happen to property prices? At the moment, I can tell you what flats are worth in my area to better work out the GDV, to work out 75% of it, to better buy the building at the right price. But will property prices drop as a result of people coming off a of furlough? None of us know. So you have got to have a plan B and a plan C. And that's where the investors have got to understand exactly the risks involved as well as the rewards. But if they believe in you and you've explained all of that fully to them, a lot of investors that I work with fully get it, fully understand it. And it's a great relationship in order to move forward because it's a business relationship. And we all get that's the way that you would make money in in property. So I would say to you, please don't be scared. No, do your sums. Do make sure that the figures are going to stack and then attract the right investors who want to invest with you. And that's how you can start your property portfolio from no properties up to whatever level you want to take it.
0: Well, we could spend a whole podcast talking about joint venture partners and other people's money. But thank you for just giving that kind of taster there, of, uh, you know, your perspective on how, uh, how that can work. Um, so thank you for that. And as you said, you've got uh, an article in the June magazine of YPN. So people can check out a bit more about uh, that case study that you mentioned before. And um, where else can people find you and what you're up to? Where's best to follow you on social media?
1: Well, it's quite interesting because you've probably worked out I'm a bit of an entrepreneur on this, Michelle, and I realise that, um, you know, there are lots of ways to help people. And I do like giving back. So one of the things I recognised was it's very difficult to find property solicitors because, you know, the good ones are just far too busy. So what I did was I found my own solicitors, a guy called Andrew Bradley, and I invested in our own company so that we formed Bradley Haynes Law, which is a firm of solicitors that just get and understand what property investors want to do. And we've been operating now for about six years or so. And so these strategies I'm talking to you about, we've got specialists that can come and do that. So it might just be easy for you to contact me on that email address if you want to. And then, you know, we can take it offline and we can have a chat. Nothing to do with doing any deals or whatever. But then if you do get some deals, you may choose you want to use my sister firm. You certainly don't have to. There's lots of other great firms out there as well. So that email address would be andy at BradleyHaynesLaw.co.uk.
0: Fantastic. Also on cool. social
1: media, you can get me on LinkedIn as well.
0: Great. We'll put that into the show notes, and of course, uh, we are on Clubhouse regularly. And uh, at the moment, we've got a Monday meeting at seven forty-five. Um, but check us out on Clubhouse and and see when we're speaking, as well as obviously the usual social media there. So, thank you very much for your time today, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, great to have you on talking about what you love
1: you've been brilliant thank you very much indeed Michelle thanks for having me here and I hope that there's just one little snippet that people can take away and really go and make a difference in their life as well thanks for having me
0: thanks Andy take care and we'll see you next time for anyone who doesn't have the magazine yet if you would like a free subscription to our uh, next month's magazine then you can just click in the link below see you next time guys